You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 127. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Sklar. You've reached another Local Maximum. Welcome to the show. Um, Every day, we're bombarded with images purporting to explain data and trends, whether it's charts or graphs or maps or even animations. There are a lot of animations today. So some of them are you know, fantastic. Some of them really do a great job of telling a story. And some are just confusing. And I don't know how to put it, not so fantastic. And then, of course, there are some that are misleading, which might be fantastic at that, but uh, not, uh, not great overall. So I wanted to start diving a little bit into the field of data visualization here on the show. We haven't done it before. Obviously, if you're trying to make a point, you want to have uh, with your data, you, you, you want to have a pictorial representation of what's going on, and you want that pictorial representation to be effective. So so today, I want to introduce you to a few ideas and tools that can help you with this by talking to an expert and an author on the topic. This episode is sponsored by Active State. Uh, they do continuous integration and continuous deployment. If you work as a software engineer, you might be interested in continuous integration tools to help yourself and help your company. Active State has been making open source easier for developers to use and simpler for enterprises to adopt for more than 20 years. They're currently looking to improve the state of the world uh, with continuous integration, continuous deployment. So take their survey at localmaxradio.com slash 127. So if you want to see some examples of data visualization when it comes to the pandemic, one that I pointed out in episode 115 on the coronavirus models is healthdata.org. And they do a bunch of curve fitting on number of deaths, number of hospitalizations by state, by, by, uh, by, by country. And I had some problems with that in episode 115. But uh, in terms of just the visualizations, just the graphs, you know, uh, when I first started, I thought these were like, okay, I give them maybe like a B minus, like meh, for a few reasons. But I, I am no longer happy with their visualizations. First of all, they keep changing. There's no indication of what date the data is from or how right or wrong they were in the past because they'll say, oh, this is, you know, this is what, what's today's date? What's this going out? July 13th. Well, here's our projections for after July 13th. And this is the data of what actually happened before July 13th. But maybe I want to know, well, what did you say on uh, June 13th? And then what were your projections for the last month? So they, uh, they don't put that in at, at, at all. Um, and it's kind of suspicious because if they did put it in, some of their projections would look absolutely ridiculous. I just point that out. I'm not, no judgment, just point that out. Wait, no, that is a judgment. What am I saying? All right. So, um, they, you know, they, they, another thing that bothers me with their, uh, uh, with their data is they try to do uncertainty bounds. And they've gone through a few iterations with this. Uh, it's just not very intuitive. They're like, well, this is what's going to happen if everyone wears masks. It's like, oh, okay. Um, and this is what every, you know, th- this is what can happen. And but it's just not. Um, it it it's it, if it's not reaching me, you're not reaching the general public for sure. Um, and also, it's very hard to compare states because you can look at state by state, but you have to kind of change the um, you have to change what's in the drop down, and it's always changing the scale. And there's no color representation to say like, are they graphing? Uh, con- are they graphing um, daily cases or daily deaths? Are they uh, graphing cumulative or are, and are, are they graphing hospital da- hospitalizations or deaths or what? And so it's all the same color, and so that kind of drives me crazy too. Um, and so I think 
you know, that's uh, that's something that uh, needs to be improved. Another one that's driving me crazy, you know, re- regardless of how the uh, underlying models are improved as well. Another one that's driving me a little crazy, uh, maybe not as bad as the Johns Hopkins Red Circle map. Now, Johns Hopkins University has been, by all accounts, great at aggregating data during this pandemic. They're not doing uh, they're, they're not doing projections. They're just aggregating the data. It seems like they're doing a good job at that. But they had these red circles to indicate cases or danger zones when I guess it made sense when they were like, you know, four or five hotspots. But as the pandemic grew, now on their map, there's just red circles everywhere. It's just a world map of red circles, except where there's no population. So it's like, eh, whatever. This map is uh, no longer too alarming. So I'll, I'll, I'll post to that so that you can see what I'm talking about. But uh, I, I, I think we can all agree that data visualization is a big part of the puzzle when you're working with data and when you're trying to draw inferences and when you're trying to do you know just, just logic, decision-making. Uh, it's not the only part. You have to actually have good, uh, you know, a good story to tell beneath that. But if you can't finish that last mile and you can't tell the story, then what good is it? So let's begin to untangle how maybe you could do a better job when it's your turn to make these things or how, you know, so, sometimes I see these bad examples and I'm like, well, when I do it, I won't do it like that. So maybe think that way or maybe let's talk about how someone can, uh, uh, someone making these charts, graphs and visualizations, maybe they could do a better job. Today's guest is an expert in data visualization. She's an associate professor of information operations and management sciences at New York University's Stern School of Business, which I went to. And she's the director of the NYU Stern Learning Science Lab. And she is also the author of Data Visualization Made Simple, which is a practical guide to the fundamental strategies and real world cases for data visualization. And I'm really glad to have it on my shelf. Kristen Soselski, you've reached the local maximum. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yeah, me too. Uh, so I first I want to point out it's been unbelievably 10 years since I took your electronics communities class at NYU. And uh, it was one of my high- highlighted class. I actually think I did a podcast episode on this. I did like six courses that um, were surprisingly, uh, how did I say, like surprisingly useful or surprisingly had an effect on me. I'll have to look it up. But uh, I, I, did a, I did a podcast episode on, on most memorable courses. And oh my uh, that was actually the first course where I discovered Foursquare. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. I can't believe it's been, you know, over 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been a very long, um, it's when we first had that class and I don't, when did you start doing that class? Do you even still do it or it's got to be very different now? Uh, I don't teach the class anymore, but it did take, you know, I did evolve the class quite a bit. We actually ended up having some shark tankers on the class that students would consult for. So that was super cool. You were one of my first students that I've ever had at NYU Stern. Uh, it was when I was teaching there as an adjunct. And the next year I became full-time faculty there. Very cool. Yeah. And I remember I did, uh, so we were kind of consulting with local businesses in town and I had a uh, Valley NYC, which mm-hmm. was like a local women's nail salon. I never would have, I probably passed by it a million times, but I never would have gone in there otherwise. <laughs> and uh, it was a fun, uh, it was a fun little project. Um, I'll have to, you know, hold on. 
episode 68, six university courses that influenced me in surprising ways. I'm going to link to that as well, because that is that was one of the six. Um, and of course, I found Foursquare there. We were trying to find out ways to um, get the word out online for some of these local businesses. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, Foursquare definitely came up. It was sort of a minor part of it. It was like, hey, there's this startup Foursquare that's uh, you know just getting off the ground. And now... Who knows, I would have been working there for nine years with a few hiatuses, but <laughs> but uh, but uh, I'm still there today. That's amazing. That's an amazing story. And it was so it was so amazing to have you in the class and your team working on uh, a real business and helping them, like you said, get the word out about their brand, about how they can find them and using social media to do that and building it as a key part of the business strategy which is really the whole kind of point of the class. And like, like I said before, it totally evolved from there um, with lots of new platforms. And, uh, but, but I did stop teaching it and I kind of transitioned to using, you know, technology to tell data stories. And it's kind of like an evolution in some ways, if you think about all the data that we collect from these social media platforms and now translating those into metrics and things that we can look at and analyze and make predictions on and, and learn more about, uh, who we are as a, as a company, a brand, a business. Yeah, yeah. So I, that's definitely what I want to dive into today. But before we go on to that, I just um, when I was in electronic communities, a lot of these mobile services weren't around for very long. That was 2010. I don't even think I had a smartphone in 2010. <laughs> you uh, totally had a smartphone. <laughs> no, I, I didn't. Really? Yeah, I didn't. I, I uh, Well, it didn't really connect to the internet very well. I think it was September of that year when I got it. And then it was like, wow. oh, okay, now I can download all this stuff that I learned about. So let, let's just dive right into data visualization. Your recent book is called Data Visualization Made Simple. Uh, would I be correct in saying that this sounds like it's kind of at the intersection between data science and design? Absolutely, absolutely. And I also think about it as kind of, you know, a really important aspect to anyone who works in analytics, right? And so if you think about how you communicate out what you've learned, your your analysis, your insights, um, and being able to do that well is such an important skill. And data visualization allows you to um, show your data as evidence in pictures that people can interpret. And they don't have to know that much about your data in order to understand some of the key insights you're trying to communicate. And so it's a way, way to kind of educate your audience and share the work that you've been doing in a way that's evidence-based. Yeah, I, I think we've all been affected by data visualization <laughs> over the last few months in one way or another. I mean, I either... Um, I mean, you've seen all these graphs over the last few months on on coronavirus, and some of them drive me crazy, and some of them are, are pretty good. Uh, but but uh, what, what do you think, what are some examples of, like, what drew you to this topic to begin with? Were there some specific examples that you remember that you thought, like, wow, this was a, a much better way to present an argument than just showing a spreadsheet or something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so... My undergraduate, I did it at uh, NYU Stern. And so there, I mean, we were always working with data. We were always producing papers and reports, you know, at, you know, at like 17 years old, right? <laughs> but um, so that was always kind of like an instinct for me. And there was always like visuals associated with it. But it, was, it wasn't until grad school at Columbia where I started working with a film professor. And we started doing quantitative analysis on film. And we started visualizing film 
And uh, that was kind of like really the turning point about what we are able to kind of accomplish with simple data graphics used to illustrate like film timelines and the like. And um, that really inspired me to, um, to get more serious about my practice of visualizing data. So that's really cool. We're in an audio format right now, so it's going to be hard to describe it. But uh, what exactly would you visualize with the, uh, with the film? So if you're doing any kind of like analysis on, you know, um, the structure elements of the film, of a film and how it leads to creating suspense, um, you're looking at things that like camera movement, right? And mm. camera angle. And so like how close is the camera to the subject? The closer that the camera gets, the more like suspenseful a scene may be. Uh, may feel to the audience. And so what, um, what, we, what we did at Columbia is that we've created something that allowed for the analysis of film shot by shot for a particular scene. And then we were able to look at kind of the different syncopation, let's say the, the difference between a close-up and a full shot in a particular scene. And so we could see things like alterations and patterns that the director purposefully put in place to create this type of drama and suspense. And so we use simple time series. Uh, nothing more than that, but it was about it was a time series of our own analysis about what was ha happening graphically on the screen. Again, how close the camera was to the subject. We give it a value. So we take things like categorical data, medium shot, full shot, long shot, wide shot, gotcha. and then we assign it values, and then we'd be able to interpret those values through our visual. And so you'd be able to like graph out over time what's going on in the film, basically. Mm -hmm, exactly. All right. Uh, so uh, who, who do you think needs to learn about data visualization these days? Who, who would benefit most from, uh, you know, from, from taking a few minutes and looking into it rather than just trying to uh, dive into it by the seat of your pants, which is, I think, what most of us do? Sure, sure. It's a, it's a great question. And so I'm going to give a really bad answer and say everyone. Uh, <laughs> but really, anyone. It's probably who not works. far from the truth. <laughs> anyone who works with data, um, and so we're we're not we no longer like kind of like work in, in in silos and just like analyzing data for our own sake. Like we're always looking at data and sharing it out in some ways, and being able to um, take a new data set of you know. Of, of something that you're learning about your company, your business, uh, your own metrics. Um, take your like Nike running app or your fitness app or something like that and be able to kind of see like what's changed over time. Uh, and so to have some simple, when you have simple questions about, you know, your own, your own performance or your company's performance, those questions can then drive um, the data that you want to look at. And typically the data you want to look at isn't going to be like what happened like last year. It's going to be what's happening now and what led up to that change. And so you might be looking at things that happen minute by minute or week by week. And so it's going to be quite a few data points. And in order to kind of see any kind of patterns or trends, visualization can be a really, really effective tool in revealing those. All right. I just want to interrupt for a second to tell you about another set of really effective tools, talking about really effective tools, and that's your software development tools that deal with continuous integration and continuous deployment, like those created by ActiveState. If you're like me, you're constantly thwarted and mystified by your build tools and continuous integration tools at work as a software engineer or as a data scientist. And there are some of you out there, some group of special people who are really great at this stuff. We need you people. 
So I just wanted to tell you about Active State today. Active State has been making open source easier for developers to use and simpler for enterprises to adopt for more than 20 years. Active State helps enterprises scale securely with open source languages and gives developers the kinds of tools they love to use. More than 2 million developers and 97% of Fortune 1000 enterprises use Active State to support mission critical systems and speed up software development while enhancing oversight and increasing quality. They are inviting all of us to do a survey. I've done the survey. It's pretty quick. And it's to understand the state of integration and deployment tools at your company. So definitely check that out at localmaxradio.com slash 127. Maybe your company is due for a change in this department. Uh, and and it might be something you want to look at, or maybe you just want to learn more about these tools because it's something that every software shop needs today. All right, back to the show. So what what do you think are some common mistakes that people make when they are creating an image for their data? Yeah, there's there's a lot of them, Max. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can well, ask my students. The, there's look, a lot of them. I, I think sometimes a good. Um, you know, sometimes a good learning is a, a, a good, um, for me, like if I go to a talk or something, if I get a takeaway, like one dumb thing that I'm not going to do anymore, that's a successful, uh, <laughs> that's a successful takeaway. Yeah. So I, I think like, uh, one thing is producing a visualization and not like beta testing at first or doing a user test on it. So I create something, share it with somebody, get some initial feedback, see if, see if the person reading your graphic will have the same takeaway as you intended. That's like the cheapest thing that you could do. Hmm. So um, it's kind of being open to share your work, being open to revision. Um, and just because you create the data graphic doesn't mean that it's actually saying anything. A common pitfall is that we create it. It's like this really cool donut chart, but it doesn't say anything. Hmm. And there's no reason for it. And so it becomes like artistic or, you know, something that might look pretty, but it really doesn't any, add any real value to your message. Um, and so you need to make sure that every visualization or data graphic that you create answers a single question. That's all I ask. A, a single, single question. Single question. <laughs> so give me an example. Like what would be a single question that would be a good question to answer in a, uh, in a data visualization? Okay. So what's happening today with my business? Okay. 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 I, I had, you know, 16 retweets of the first tweet that I did. I, you know, and then, you know, and sales are up 15%, blah, blah, blah. All right. Well, I, I'm going to go a little bit off script here and ask, because I think this is going to be, this could be fun if you have an answer, but like, what's the worst attempt at data visualization that you've seen or the most harmful, or does anything come to mind for that? Oh my gosh. You know what people do a lot is they make their own shapes. <laughs> so they'll create like a visualization that's like a pyramid and the slices of the pyramid don't really equate to any numbers and they're disproportionate. Um, so, I mean, there are things that people kind of mix like infographics together with real data graphics. So sometimes graphics are driven by data right. and that's, that's the work I focus on. And then there's graphics that are pretty that you kind of can sketch out, but um, they don't, they're not driven by data. Yeah. Okay. So, I make a lot of graphs in, in Google Docs, line graphs. I have, you know, some that I have going for this podcast, actually. I do, I graph out, um, you know, uh, how many people download the podcast episode within 24 hours of me putting it out. And I use that metric because 
the number of people who download the first 24 hours is roughly proportional to the people who are going to download over the month. It's not entirely the same, but I can get it a lot quicker. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I sort of graph that over time. It seems to be sufficient to give me a good idea, but I feel like I could do a lot better uh, either with the podcast or with work. So what tools would you recommend? I love using Tableau for and creating my own like analytics dashboard. You can um, link Tableau to an active Google Sheet. Um, and so anytime that Google Sheet is updated with your data, your visualizations will be updated. And so that's kind of like, uh, and there's like free student versions out there of Tableau as well. So it's kind of a, a very simple way to have dynamic data with your visualization because you don't want static visualizations if it's something that you're going to look at every day back to the question, like what's happening now in my business or on my podcast or my company. Um, So you want to create visualizations that kind of work with dynamic data. Yeah. So a a lot of times I work with data sets where I want to explicitly represent uncertainty. Maybe I ran a model. I'm trying to estimate a value or a value over time, but, and I know I can't pinpoint the value. It's a little bit of a scatter plot, but uh, I can instead compute you know, a Bayesian certainty interval over it. I, I sort of think the value is somewhere around in here. Uh, what are what are some good ways to represent that? Because I feel like the idea of uncertainty, whereas like for me, it's it's sort of my, um, it, th- that's my basic language. I always talk in uncertainties, but I, I feel like w- when I communicate that to the general public, some people don't get it. You know, what what can work really well with that is if you kind of present a uh, a picture of what's happening now, okay, and then you say, what if this happened? And you show the data in a predicted way. You say, what if, what if, what if these two things change to this third thing? Ask and what then, if, okay. Yeah, asking a few what if questions and then showing the results in a data graphic. So you can almost see like frame by frame what how the points change in these different what if scenarios. And I think that might get you to like getting more audience understanding of um, this, this concept of, of uncertainty um, and I guess different outcomes. So I have to ask about uh, you know map data, location data now, because I've mm-hmm. dealt with it so much throughout my career. Uh, is, is that covered in the book? And uh, what are some things we need to keep in mind when displaying data on a map? Oh my God. Yeah. Yes. We definitely cover that. Um, I know I teed up the question. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Geospatial displays are a big part of the book. Um, You you really want to think about like, you know, a a, a few basic things. So you want to make sure that uh, when you're representing uh, data points on a map, there's a reason and you don't fall into what we call the population map problem. So you don't always mm. want Texas and California to have the biggest or darkest or the most values on them. Right? Um, so I can't sure tell you, you, I can't tell you how many maps look exactly the same, exactly yeah. like that. You're, you're absolutely yeah. right. So you want to at least normalize by like population. Um, you know, especially when we're thinking about the U S like we always forget about Alaska and Hawaii. So you want to make sure that you have a map that includes, um, uh, the entire U.S. on it if you're representing the whole U.S. And if you're just talking about the Northeast, just zoom in on the Northeast. There's no reason to, to look at the entire United States. Everybody knows what it looks like. So um, these are these are some pointers. And then you want to make sure that you use the right encoding. So if you want to compare regions, you want to fill the regions, okay, with different shading. So darker regions have higher values. Uh, lighter regions have lower values, whatever those values might be. Um, you want to make sure that you figure out, you know, 
um, how to represent um, those values in terms of their tiers, right? So if we said darker colors have higher values, okay, what are those higher values? What's that value range? And so you need to provide a legend. And that's something that tends to be overlooked. A lot of people like these bubble maps. Obviously, with COVID, um, they're really, really popular and they're really, really effective. But um, as the number of cases was really, you know, um, hitting an all-time high in New York, you saw the big bubble and it just covered, you know, half of the Northeast. <laughs> yeah. And while that can be dramatic, then we're losing out on some different data points that's below the larger bubble. So you want to set larger bubbles in the back and smaller bubbles in the front. Right. Well, let me give you an example of something that uh, we, we we're trying to get out now, but I don't know. We may or may not get it out. But it's like I have a I, I spent some time and I I got together a data set where for every geo ID, roughly every town and city, I have a count of the number of people who are at home, the number of people who are at work, and the number of people who are somewhere else. And mm -hmm. I don't really know how to use that. I I feel like we should look at the percentages of each of the three, but I, I'm I feel like the visualizations that um, we come up with for that might not be as useful as people think. Um, I'm concerned about that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, and it really depends on how, what, if you want to provide a macro view. So if you want to, so you're talking about towns and cities. And so do you want to show this at the state level? Or do you want to show this at, you know, the individual town, town level where you're having right, almost like, like three graphs? Yeah. Yep. And you want to do that over time. So you want to use animation and you're, and, but you might want to animate over time or you might want to animate by your categorical var variable. Like, so for, you know, uh, June 16th, uh, you show a snapshot and then what you can do is you can animate, you can show, um, number of people home, number of people at work as your next snapshot. And then your third snapshot would be the other category that I forgot you said. Cool. All right. So, uh, where for, um, I, I think I've been looking into some tools for this. Do you have any tools that you like for uh, kind of location-based uh, uh, visualizations? Yeah, I mean, there's there's lots of great tools, and it really depends on your poison and kind of what yeah. uh, what you like working in, right? So if you're a Python coder, you're going to do something much different than if you're an R coder versus if you're really just trying to create visuals that look great for geospatial. So you have ArcGIS for that. That's obviously a sophisticated program. They have a cloud version. Uh, there's also Tableau that's very user-friendly that has the, the aspects that I was mentioning, like for animation. Um, you can go the JavaScript route where you can do things that are, you know, interactive and you can host on the web uh, pretty quickly. You can also do some of that with Tableau. All right. So, and wh what are the uh, what are the courses at NYU that you teach? Is this is this uh, related to a course at NYU or? Um... Absolutely. So, for I guess for the listeners, I teach a online certificate called Visualizing Data through Executive Education. It's open to anybody in the world. Um, so that's Visualizing Data. I also teach a course in uh, R coding for data, and that's using the R programming language where we do a lot of visualization as well. And then for the MBAs and undergrads, I teach uh, courses in visualization as well. Very cool. Very cool. And I'll look, I don't know if there are any uh, content online that people can find if they want to go to uh, learn the basics of some of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's the guide that accompanies my book. It's called becomingvisual.com. Um, on the website, I have um, some tutorials, lots of examples and that, that complement each chapter of the book. And it's completely free to access without purchasing the book. 
Awesome. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, do you have any last thoughts? And where can people find more about you and more information about the book? Uh, thanks so much, Max, for having me. Uh, you can find the book, obviously, on Amazon. It's called Data Visualization Made Simple, Insights into Becoming Visual. You can learn more about me on either the becomingvisual.com website or kristensisolsky.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Sisolsky. All right. All of that will be linked on the show notes page for this episode, which is localmaxradio.com slash 127, because this is the 127th episode. Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. So on localmaxradio.com slash 127, I'll link to the visualizing data course. Uh, that's like a remote NYU Stern course that is available to the public. It's not free. I think it's uh, $800, but uh, which is far less than um, a Stern course usually costs. But if you're making this skill a big part of your career, that's definitely something to check out and probably worth investing in. For the rest of us, there is a lot of free content on becomingvisual.com and the book. It's pretty easy, no-brainer, just to get the paperback of visualizing data on Amazon, which I'll link to as well. Uh, one of the topics we talked about that I sort of has been swirling around in my mind is the difference between data visualization and an infographic. You know, an infographic, we used to put those out on at Foursquare, and it was kind of like, you know, end of year wrap ups. And it was sort of, um, it's sort of like a marketing document, like some visualizations of what, uh, of what's been going on. Uh, like sort of, we took the conclusions from our data and used that to draw pictures, but it's not a pictorial representation of the data necessarily. It's just like, oh, um, you know, 10% more people are buying ice cream cones. So we'll like, you know, We'll put a picture of an ice cream cone up there. Uh, so that's sort of something to think about. Are you doing a data visualization or an infographic? The one I usually think about with an infographic is the you know Napoleon returning home, that, that famous one from a long time ago, where it's like, you know, it shows the size of the army as it goes to Russia and back. Um, I guess that's an infographic. Uh, so what other COVID visualizations have I seen? There's one that also kind of bothers me, which is the country sort of bending the curve where they, they start off every country as to like when that country got at least 100 cases or something like that. And then it will show the number of new cases, the number of new deaths over time. And it's never, uh, you know, it, it's never normalized by population. And, you know, each region is very different. And it, you just see kind of these curves jump up and bend over at different rates. And it, to me, it's very hard to draw conclusions from that. Usually, I feel like one's being put over me uh, when I see that one. Um, a good example, we, I mentioned a lot of bad examples, but let's go to a good example of data visualization. And so this is, of if you're interested in learning more, this is one I'll link to. Uh, this is a TED Talk from 2006 by Hans Rosling, which is called Myths About the Third World. Sorry if I mispronounced that, Hans Rosling. Um, Myths About the Third World. Now, this is all from all the way back in 2006. Uh, the data visualization tools were you know, less well-developed then. TED in 2006, I think it was pretty new. This is an example of a great data visualization talk, very different in 2006. Uh, Hans Rosling was an academic who passed in 2017. Uh, he studied, a, I think he was a physician. I think he studied, he studied international economic development. Uh, he was a UN guy. I don't necessarily support all of his, you know, th th this is not to say 
Um, I, I'm not going to comment on his 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 takeaways, but I I think that this is a great example of data visualization. He's famous for his kind of moving bubbles chart, where you'd have um, an x-axis, a y-axis, and then each point would be uh, sized uh, a circle that's sized differently. Usually, the population of the country. Uh, this moving bubbles chart could be overused. It could be complicated, I guess, to have that third dimension in there in some cases. But he used it very well. He did one that was a distribution of life expectancy and family size, and usually countries that so that sort of. Uh, shows that the editorial position that life expectancy and family size are related. And you can see that in the data where some countries are up and to the left and other countries are down and to the right, large family sizes and, and low life expectancy. And then he ran the animation and then he showed over time as the countries with the different bubbles that were moving, that the bubbles were growing and shrinking a little bit as populations increase and decrease, but usually the relative sizes of countries remained similar. Uh, and then it, you kind of see these bubbles migrating up and to the left as countries went from developing to developed status. And it really hit home how uh, over the last half of the 20th century and the beginning of the 21st century, uh, extreme poverty uh, was just completely not eradicated around the world, but uh, to totally reduced by uh, you know, billions of billions of people. Um, or, or just tons of people were moved out of extreme poverty. Another interesting one was uh, distribution of life expect or, or uh, uh, income. When it shows how complicated the idea of distribution of income is, um, and also showing the diversity and disparity within these bubbles. Like he click a bubble of, uh, you know, let's say Africa that represent Africa, and it would explode into the bubbles of all these countries, and you'd see some of them in very different positions, and the big bubble was just the average. And so you could kind of see, uh, you know, the, the, the diversity in the data, and you could see the story that he's trying to tell about the economic development in the developing world uh, through this presentation. Uh, he did have, he was using a, a trend analyzer software uh, that he built. It ended up being bought by Google. But the way he uses it is great to see. And you could do similar things in most of the modern tooling in 2020. But I think this gives inspiration. It's all in the way you use it. Um, also check out, uh, so that's one to check out for data visualization. I I didn't know this uh, after, but uh, until after I put it in my notes, but it is mentioned in the Becoming Visual book as well. Uh, also check out a podcast I was on recently. It's called Listening Archive with Amy Coelho and Charlie Kilner. Um, it's already linked on my website, but I talked about a number of subjects ranging from my work at Foursquare, uh, you know, MarsBot Audio, which is uh, my city tour walking bot, audio bot, which I'm really excited to put out soon. Now we're going to refocus on it um, now, now that it's Q3. Um, and I also talked about balancing office time and at-home time post-coronavirus and my thoughts on what might be the highs and lows of the technological innovation during this pandemic. I'm, you know, so I, I'm, I'm kind of impressed with their editing work and they put together the interviews. So uh, I will link to that. Next week, we'll have Aaron back. I haven't talked about the state of the tech world, the tech news in a long time. So maybe we'll talk about some of those trends. And I'm going to start lining up more interviews. So get ready for the back half of 2020 on the local maximum. It's going to be a very exciting time. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com if you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show. 
send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. The show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. Feel the power.